This is Melissa, and today is the 24th of September, 2023. And the redux that I'm going to put up today is from February 14, 2007, Public-Private Pirate Enterprises, Sun, Stars, and Spray. And I'm putting up the first two-thirds of a talk that Alan gave that day. And what you're not going to get is the spray part. And it's very interesting if you want to go into the archives and find that and listen to him talk about chemtrails and geoengineering. It's worth listening to that last bit. But I'm not going to include that in this one. At the beginning of this talk, Alan just said, I can't keep up with the emails. And... I don't think he was really complaining, and I've said that before here, but I wanted to say I love your emails, and some people will write, and they want to share an idea or something about themselves, and then they might conclude by saying, sorry that this was so long, or I'm sorry, I know you're busy, I don't want to take up your time, and I just want to say that even though I run behind, and, and sometimes just so far behind, I really love getting your emails. And as I've said several times, this is about a small group of people, and that group are people for whom Alan's words resonate, and they carry truth and profound meaning and wisdom. And so we're a group of people who continue to learn from Alan's work and his words. And communicating with you, I don't do the social media thing where I'm, I can answer comments or engage with you like that. I did start the Twitter, but that's really just a way of, to another very small audience, putting Alan's word out and, and hoping that other people will share that in that forum. Now, there are a few things that are on my mind. I'll just out with them. So... Please keep writing, and I'll do my best to get back to you, because communicating at this time genuine feelings and emotions and observations and experiences among a group of like-minded people, that's, that's crucial. It's critical right now, because we are into the savages on the fringes of a new civilization. So we wild savages must find each other and communicate the best way we can. Well, that brings me... Uh, well, before I go to the next thought, I wanted to say that in addition to just communicating with you, really the, the some of the best ideas that I've, I've gotten have come from listeners. So, it you know, I got the idea to write about the New Age. That was a suggestion. Someone wrote me two or three months ago about, just mentioned the Aspen Institute, and I realized, well, I haven't really looked into them. And so I got to dig into the Aspen Institute and see that it was not what I thought that it was at all, but that came from a listener. And I'm going to be reading a little bit from an article today that came from a listener who sent me the link yesterday by email. So please continue to write. And if you don't hear back from me for days or weeks or even months, it isn't because I haven't seen the email or I don't care to communicate. That isn't it. So thank you.
When I was talking to Neil Foster in the last Real History that I did with him, we used a piece of music that he mentioned, uh, a song called Television's Over. And then um, I think it was Darren in South Africa had written me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, the Internet is over. And I thought, you know, he's really right. The Internet is over. And I'll explain why I think that. Remember, for long-time listeners, that Alan said that the Internet was a small window that we had. We'd do the best with it, but that window wouldn't it'd be open for long. And I think that we are there because what, ha- what they've done is successfully the shepherds have guided us into the pasture that we're supposed to be in or into the pen that they want us in. And that is the way that social media works. And you really have to have, like, people will have teams who work the social media. They might have a dedicated social media producer. And that person or that member of an organization or a small team, that's the one who, you know, does the tweeting. Or maybe they call it the Xing now. But they, they manage the social media presence. And I know that in the case of uh, JP and Julie from Book of Hours, they mentioned on a talk that we did, he's just not interested in that world. He doesn't, he does, he's not interested in social media. And Julie has a nice presence there and she communicates with their listeners in that way. But I'm no longer a team, it's me by myself. And so, to properly communicate with you in that forum and to extend the reach of Alan's work in that forum. It really would be a full-time job, and so I can't really use it in that way. For me, it's just when I upload to Rumble or Odyssey or Twitter, that's just me putting out Alan's work or the real history in a, you know, at a different venue, a different channel. So I can see that it could be better utilized, but it's not something that I have time for. And when you reach a point where you're so, I I keep saying ghetto, but when, when you've been so effectively ghettoized so that your voice and your message just stays in a little echo chamber, then really is not the internet over. The, the broad reach of the World Wide Web, but you can be sure that you're stuck on a strand or two of a giant web and you're, you don't really have much of a reach. But that doesn't discourage me because Alan's message is transcendent. The things that he had to say, they, I think they transcend space and time. And that is another thing. I'm, I'm getting a little stream of consciousness here, I think. But that is another thing about communicating with each other. We, This small group of people for whom Alan's work so strongly resonates. Because thoughts are energetic forms. And they're incredibly powerful. So my thought going to you and your thought coming to me, that 
is a powerful thing. And I've witnessed that in seeing how the reach of Alan's thoughts that shadow ban him as they would, he did have that huge impact at the time that he came out and this, what they call the Patriot Movement because the pow- thoughts are powerful. They're powerful forms. And so though I say that it is over, I continue doing what I'm doing, but I am in my mind trying to think of things that ways in which I want to take Alan's work and put it together in, in ways that might be shared more, put it to get together in ways that, that are little bullets, if you will. I had thought this week that I would be putting up a different talk of Alan's, and I listened to it two or three times, and it was a really powerful talk. And again, the idea of that someone had sent me two or three months ago a, a link to one of Alan's older blurbs, and they said, you know, listen to this. Well, I just got around to listening to it this week for the first time in many, many years, and I thought, well, that is really powerful. But as I listened to it for the second or third time, I thought, this is, I want to cut this talk up into maybe 10 small little pieces that I deliver in audio or video form because he said so many profound and wise and amazing things there. They thought, if I just take this eight minutes or this 10 minutes and make a video of that, it's the kind of thing that's like, oh, wow, that that's really quite a thought there. I need to share it. And so I know the longtime listeners that you do share Alan's work and you do talk to people when you find the receptive mind. But I too am a listener of Alan's work and a learner and I am a student, you know, so I'm still learning. And so I'm not, I'm doing this for you, but I'm also doing it for me. And as I continue along my own journey here, then I'm thinking, well, how, how better can I serve his work? So look to, from me, I'm, I'm working on a two different series of little videos that I'm going to put out. I don't know if they'll be redux or, or excerpts or, or what, but I, I'm going to do one on culture creation and a series of a, a documentary that was three parts that was done, well, I don't know, 18, 15, 18, 20 years ago called Sin Cities. And I want to break that down into smaller segments and then cover culture creation that way. And the other series that I've begun work on is taking that blurb that I was going to put up today and breaking it into small videos. So anyway, I wanted to share with you what Alan is talking about, and this is the idea of pirate kings. There's a bit of Freemasonry here, the groups, the oaths that people swear 
and how this ancient system works. You know, maybe you haven't always had Freemasonry around, but you've had some kind of a brotherhood that has come down through time. And what Alan was talking about is the difference between legal and moral. So that, you know, there's always a distinction. Well, you know, they're not breaking any laws. You know, it's legal. And he, he cites the movie the devil's advocate and said you know the 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 devil who was a lawyer <laughs> has said that you know they're they're building whole teams of lawyers and this is how they conquer the world and that always stuck with alan but when he's talking about how people will do things that that they're not moral but they are legal and how we become corrupted by that and the pirate kings who do this. And I thought of an, an article that came in to me yesterday, and it was from Martin Armstrong's Armstrong Economics, and he published this on the 21st of September. It's entitled, Neuralink Brain Implant Trials Begin. Elon Musk's Neuralink received approval to begin a six-year trial to study the effects of brain-computer interface, BCI. A specialized surgical robot will be used to implant the devices into participants' brains, the company's mission. Create a generalized brain interface to restore autonomy to those with unmet medical needs today and unlock human potential tomorrow, because they're always there to help us. Participants in the first trial must have a disability such as blindness, quadriplegia, paraplegia, deafness, or major limb amputation. Permitting those with disabilities to live a normal life seems noble, but Musk has stated he dreams of expanding the Neuralink's availability to everyone. The non-human trials failed miserably, resulting in 1,500 dead animals since 2018. Some past employees have criticized Musk for rushing his research, but not illegal acts were committed, as it is common, if not expected, for at least some animal test subjects to die. Numerous errors could have been avoided, if not for human error, according to those familiar with the studies. Okay, so right there, that's Alan's point. They didn't do anything illegal in these animal trials. But was it moral? The PRIME study, and that's an acronym, short for Precise Robotically Implanted Brain-Computer Interface, a groundbreaking investigational medical device trial for our fully implantable wireless brain-computer interface, BCI, aims to evaluate the safety of our implant, N1, and surgical robot, R1, and assess the initial functionality of our BCI, for enabling people with paralysis to control external devices with their thoughts, Neuralink states on its website. It would be an unbelievable feat if this device gave someone the ability to walk or see for the first time. It would make all the testing worthwhile. Musk stated himself that the chip will work. As miraculous as it may sound, we're confident that it is possible to restore full body functionality to someone who has a severed spinal cord. 
However, Musk has loftier goals and said that the Neuralink will be for everyone. Musk stated that he personally plans to have a brain chip installed once available. Neuralink is not beholden to shareholders as Musk owns the company outright. The company claims it will not sell data to third parties. However, Neuralink's third-party affiliates, regulatory boards, and research partners will have access. Time will tell how this six-year trial goes, as I expect we will hear much more about the new technology once the trial begins. Now, Martin Armstrong has embedded a video, a short one, maybe 10 minutes, into the article. And what it was was like a uh, public relations event where Elon Musk spoke about Neuralink and then he brought, he had from his team the different experts and scientists who were involved and and each team member, maybe there were four or five of them, had a minute or so to speak about their part in this work. But what was interesting to me in the context of Alan's talk that I'm putting up is when Elon Musk came out to talk about it, one of the first things, one of the fears that he wanted to allay was the treatment of the animals. So he showed, he even said something like, uh, the, these monkeys, they like it. They, they like this game that they're, that they're playing. And then with the reason why they like it, it's, it's a bit, it's Pavlovian. When they perform, they get a treat. So every time they perform properly, they're given a treat. And then he wanted to reassure that the animals, you know, they're well cared for. They're well treated. Well, we know that 1,500 of them died. So, um, you know, that one other thing that I saw, not in this article, but somewhere else recently, was that Musk said that all of the animals that they were using were aged, you know, so that makes it okay, right? If you want to think about situation ethics and euthanasia, well, it's okay because they were old anyway. So I thought it was a good illustration of a pirate king and the attitude that they have when they are experimenting or doing something that they, you know, that they want to do for ends that are exclusively for them and not for us. There is a a film that came out probably about eight years ago now. It was called Advantageous. And it's a kind it's a dystopian sci-fi, low budget. I think it was done for Netflix. And there's a lot to like about it. It's a little slow moving. But it's pretty. The images are artful and rich. And there's lovely music in there. And there are nice threads and ideas about family and human relationships and emotion and yearning and loneliness and despair in a, you know, in a future in which people just aren't that important anymore. 
The woman who is featured at the center works as a kind of a spokesperson for a biotech company, and the the products that the biotech company releases have to do with longevity and youth. And she's been a spokesperson for this company for a long time. And the story is that they are looking for a younger spokeswoman. And ultimately, she agrees to undergo a process that will transfer her brain, her memory, her experiences, and so forth, into the body of a younger woman. And I won't uh, spoil that for anybody who wants to see that movie, Advantageous. I won't spoil what is going on. I'll just comment that like with everything else, the actual technology is based on deceit. I've just shared with you Neuralink. It's there for quadriplegics and paraplegics and the blind right? <laughs> but one scene that really struck me in that film was when this spokeswoman was meeting with one of the, the two higher-ups in the company, a man and another woman. And the woman was talking with her about change. And she said, something, I'm paraphrasing it because it's been a while since I saw it, but she said, humans can only process change at the rate in which they can experience it. And things are changing so rapidly here that it is beyond people's ability to actually process the change. And that's why humans are being left behind. And I'm not going to go on on and on and on about that. I'm going to hurry up and let you have Alan. But that is a pretty intense statement. And it it's part of the, the soup of ideas in my mind right now. And my own journey of playing with Alan's materials and putting them together in new ways and finding new ways to convey his thoughts to you. Anybody, of course, is welcome to go into the archive, but I guess I, you could say I'm putting my own stamp on things because I'm in my own process of learning. And the idea that things are changing so rapidly that we can't possibly keep up is that's true. We've gone through the last three and a half years, and the change has been explosive, revolutionary. And you'll catch Alan saying something in there about how they're not going to dismantle the old system until the new system is up and running, because if this was done by the elite handlers. <laughs> if this was done, then everything would just fall apart. So the new system has to be in place. And this is why I am moving away from spending a lot, lot, lot of time in the news and just kind of steering myself in a different direction. 
is because I want to remind myself that this new system is already off the ground in many ways, getting off the ground in other ways. And the other little thought that I had this week about my own process here in learning and moving as things change, I was talking to my Aunt Mary in the real history that I put up a couple, three weeks ago, and she was talking about flying. And, and what she said something about how she was terrified of the engine stalling out, and that on the very first lesson, the instructor put her in the pilot's seat and then stalled the engine. And so she had, she was able to overcome that fear right away. But then she went on to talk about solo flying. And one of the things that she had to do on the solo flight, she's flying up in the air, and then she had to touch ground and then take off again, touching down and then taking off. And she loved that process so much that she did it six or seven times. And the instructor said, I thought you were never going to come down. But that image of the plane touching down and then taking off really resonated with me in terms of Alan's directive to stay above the fray because news is the fray. What we're given, the these social media ghettos, they are the fray. And I guess I like to fly. <laughs> I've, I've never flown a plane. I've never really had any desire to learn how to fly a plane. But in my mind, I like to fly. And for me, spending hours and hours and hours in the news and trying to understand all of the particulars of uh, you know, especially the last three and a half years, we've been given so much to think about. That's touching ground. And I just want to keep lifting off. And, you know, it, if I have to come down and touch ground, I, I don't want to stay that long. <laughs> so, and Alan talked about that in this talk. He talked about the technique, the technique that has been used down through time to keep us in our programming. So that is it for me today. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to support. And um, thank you for your emails. And have a great week. And there's more from me and, and more from Alan's work coming up. Hi, I'm Alan Watt. And this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and .net at the moment I guess that's common to the net I'm in the process of adding mirror sites which will enable me to hopefully stay up there should any of the other ones be pulled which can happen at any time in our wonderful free society where we soon find out the price of free speech depending on what we say. This is February the 14th, 2007. Uh, please watch the site for more mirrors as I hopefully add them to them, or add to them. I've been terribly busy here with the emails. I can't really cope with so many of them. And never mind just getting through the average day.
doing the things you have to do, which everyone has to do, it certainly adds up. And I had no idea when I began all of this, really, how far it would go. In fact, I wasn't even certain if there were so many people out there who would be interesting in what I had to say. We're living in a punch-drunk society, a society where we've been conditioned in an almost schizophrenic fashion, bombarded with techniques of mind control, uh, trained still in the old-fashioned system, which served the purpose for an elite during the industrial age we're trained through the same training even though we're, we're almost post-technological never mind post-industrial and since most of the technology has been passed out to countries like China by design yet we're still trained in little black and yellow school buses the bees to be carted off from your little mini hive your cell off to school in school is taken from a school of fish fish all move at the same time you'll notice when you watch minnows and little groups of them they all seem to move at the same time all coordinated like an orchestra conducted by the conductor and that's how you're trained and you're taught to compete at school competition And it's all training you to get out into a workforce and compete and grab your share by any means possible and just don't go too far breaking laws. It's much more easy to be crafty and devious. If you're very devious and crafty and you join the right associations, you can can get on in life. That's what all secret societies have always been involved in regardless of the particular reason for starting them even if it's for oppression at times they end up corrupt and they're always started off by Freemasonry as they, they just create new branches to do to deal with this part of society or this time in, in, in history they admit it themselves that they eventually become corrupt and we see the corruption everywhere little clubs that are formed at universities little associations that you're initiated into if you're dumb enough to do it and you give your word and your bond and then you're tied to secrecy and if you keep your mouth shut you'll benefit and you get on in life and you get all the contracts and business or you get up the, the ladder of the legal system which is tremendously lucrative it's a business and ultimately you know all money comes from work from labor which in turn as the big boys know since they gave us Karl Marx uh, labor is where all produce comes from you produce through labor work and governments collect that into a big pool big honey pot and they help themselves to it so it's the biggest bank in the world really is, is, is government it takes it can also sign whole generations who are yet unborn 
down as guarantors of future payments on a present day loan. Thomas Jefferson, being no dummy and being a member of the high lodges in France and in America, said the same thing. They can tell you a truth without giving you their verdict on it. And he said that a generation born in with the the bondage of paying off a debt incurred by previous generations is therefore a slave generation. And that's true if you're born into a debt. How can you be born free and be put down as a guarantor of a debt that was incurred 150 years ago or, or longer or even in the previous generation? You had nothing to do with it. And that's where the legal side of the fiction breaks down because they will pretend through voting that you vote them in however if you haven't been born yet you couldn't have voted them in and they'll never answer that question however it's in the old lodge book the lodge book uses their masonic bible with the old testament with all the rules in it and slavery is quite acceptable in the old testament you can sell yourself into bondage and your children and your children's children to pay off a debt, supposedly. All to please this wonderful deity. They liked his breakfast burned in the morning, and he couldn't get enough of it. And that ran the world for an awful long time. How many countless generations were downloaded with this preaching and indoctrination and that was their whole reality for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years the law they called it the law is a wall I liked the the devil's advocate the movie where Al Pacino is supposedly the devil it's a good story it's got a lot of allegories in there too And he owns the largest lawyer corporation in New York. And he tells his son, who doesn't know he is his son yet, that the way the world has been taken over is through lawyers and law. He says armies of them are being produced every year all over the world. Armies of lawyers. And this is where we are today. Because we cannot say that the world system is illegal they have made everything which they do legal it's just simply immoral you see it's morally bankrupt and that's the difference those who've studied societies and all societies and all religions can see the phases that we go through and they'll also realize that the elite of any age or period or country don't perish they move on to the next transitional phase always running it from behind the scenes with a a similar system which must be based on something which we think is a unit of exchange for instance money in order to keep control of it even though you can keep idiots believing that they're in control of it by telling them they're free this is the trick that's used to get masses to work for them 
and never know what's really going on. There's no system, in fact, you could go into that hasn't been tried before, like, a, like, a, like circles or cycles of them. And much of it is hidden within the religions if you really understand what you're reading. The, there's, there, there are three paths always, the exoteric, the esoteric, and then an, a deeper inner path that's not quite one or the other. It's another way. It takes data from both and, and formulates a, another way, the third way. If you look at ancient China, you'll find that every system, which we, today we'd call fascism or communism and capitalism and all the isms had been tried in ancient times for long periods and observed and noted by the experts of that day and archived for future use. In the times of Confucius you had, and I call it Confuse Us because it's quite interesting the way it's written, Confucius supposedly, apart from all the mythology of his birth and how righteous he was, who simply is a man who wanted to simply help the world, and so he's made to almost walk on water, meaning he's an illumined one, because the sun can be seen to walk on water at sunset if you live near the coast before it sets. And anyway, Confucius just wanted to get up there and he couldn't get a high position supposedly in administrative capacity because he was so darned honest and the people who ran that system were so dishonest so that he got petty positions supposedly on the one hand he gave all the right way to live the right way for social functioning to, to work all the, 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 the do's and don'ts which they always do, always get these given to us and every country's had their version of it and their founding mythological hero to get the public to go along, the masses to go along with uh, the agenda run by very wise men at the top now the public always think of a permanence a stability of a system because our lives are so short and whatever data is fed into us uh, like history it tends to keep you that way they don't give you a continuity of long eons of time uh, that's reserved for select select few within every nation if you understand the eons or ages of time you can understand how you can use people until things don't work anymore everything is so corrupt because as the king goes so do the people since we emulate we mimic what we see at the top it comes to a stage where everything is so corrupt it doesn't work the Soviet Union got like that eventually where I know people who visited countries like Poland while they were under the rule to visit relatives who were in hospital and they had to bribe the staff to change the linen 
of the relatives who could be lying in urine and so on that's the stage that you reach when you can't go any further with it nothing nothing really works and all this had been tried thousands of years ago as I say with China it also been tried with those who gave the, the ideals of Brahma in India who kept the records of the ages and they give an exoteric for the public even still today and an esoteric for those who want to follow the paths but as I say there's a third way and you have to understand both to see it people react throughout their lives to situations mainly because on a conscious level they don't plan them they adopt patterns of behavior they adopt modes of behavior and tradition tradition when it's changing to a new tradition is a dysfunctional period where people are trying to emulate the old and they can't fathom out why it doesn't work the data is there as to why it doesn't work and all the indoctrinations that have made individuals dysfunctional is also out there too and that's why you have an incredible growth in those who pretend to handle the dysfunctions all the therapists and professionals and counselors all the Dr. Phil's who can solve your problem in one hour on television and again television is fiction but it's more real to many people today than reality they say there's nothing new under the sun and there truly isn't public private initiatives as they're called today is a very old technique there's nothing new really in it at all it's where the public put in their labor in the forms of money that's taken from them to build large building projects the masons love building projects that's what it's all about is always building new and bigger and better and building bridges between countries and peoples and and all that stuff and sometimes they build real bridges at least pay their cronies to design them and the public do they pay that is and then it's handed over to a private corporation because they tell you, well, it's going to cost so much to maintain. So in the public-private partnership deals, it's written to the new owners who buy the bridge or whatever for a song, a token, uh, that the public will maintain it. So you, the public pay the costs of maintenance. They also pay tolls all the time, even though their tax money built the bridge in the first place. And this is called a better way. A better way. And it is a better way for those who own the bridges. It's much more convenient not having to put out some of your profit uh, to maintain something, this public-private business. And we're told this is a better hive, the hive for the bees, than the previous one. But it's really always been there. In Europe, especially in Britain, which still goes under the crown, this, this nefarious, odd, obscure definition where on the one hand you're told the crown really has no power anymore in a democratic society, 
it's a titular head which can make suggestions but truly it can't make any decisions that's what we're told and yet every person who works for government and especially those guys with Masonic chessboard on their helmets called the police and who are all Freemasons can hit you on the head and make you do something or else lock you up in prison if you don't follow the rules of the crown because they've sworn allegiance to the crown this this obscure thing that doesn't exist and or sort of exists and has no real power and then if you go into the commonwealth countries uh, that's Australia, New Zealand, Canada and so on you'll find that the land which is park land and all the rest of it comes under the crown it's crown land this obscure term which doesn't apply today as I say because they're just a, a figurehead of a, a system and the real power is in the democratic institutions however this same crown knights those who serve the democratic institutions whether politicians or high-level bureaucrats or very exceptional police chiefs or something like that. So it, it seems to mean a lot to them. And, and no one's ever voted in the Crown. We've never had a vote on that. Recently, I've read about one of the projects. I, well, I knew about it quite a few years ago, in fact. But someone sent it in and it's it's from the Telegraph News 2003 I believe June the 4th and a little article was put in there about a public-private partnership deal where the judges who are trying the case of a, a civil rights campaigner were asked by the campaigner if they were Freemasons and this is a little story that was written by Ossian uh, Cram or Oslin Cram I believe his name is this is a little example of the corruption we have but it's not really corruption it's moral corruption you see it's, but it's legal because there's no laws against it I suppose it could be speculative if that were the case three judges yesterday refused to reveal whether they were Freemasons after being challenged by a veteran human rights campaigner now this campaigner goes under a pseudonym called Robbie the Pict a Pict, that's P-I-C-T uh, this isn't in the paper but I'll explain what a Pict is a Pict, uh, or the Pictsai were the, were the people who inhabited Scotland and parts of what's now northern England when the Scots came in the Scots were the Gales who came in through Ireland from the west so that was a western Gale you might say and they intermarried with the Picts who used to paint themselves with pictures and when you saw them moving around in the Highlands you realise that Scotland invented moving pictures long before Hollywood ever got the idea and these were talkies too however uh, this campaigner under his pseudonym is called Robbie the Picts Robbie the Picts put the question to judges hearing his complaint 
that a secret society of senior figures in the Scottish establishment is undermining the impartiality of the judicial system. He believes that judges who are members of the speculative society could have influenced cases against him during his long-running campaign against tolls on the privately operated Isle of Skye Bridge. They're into the building huge bridges, you see. They'd made one in Canada uh, on, the, on the eastern coast of Canada. It's miles long to an island. Prince Edward Island and that's also public-private and they pay tolls on that one too they're doing this all over the place it's very lucrative and uh, Robbie here is talking about the speculative society now the speculative society is a Masonic society which uh, I think goes back to the University of Edinburgh where the old school tie comes into play where they all meet each other and become initiated into masonry and they have many different branches you can, or sub-branches you can then go into in Freemasonry you have operative masons and you have speculative masons that's what they're called by masons the speculative part of it has taken on a new meaning because or maybe it's not so new because they speculate on where they can get the best bang for their bucks for investments etc they help each other out with the old school tie and once again it isn't illegal at the moment this conflict of interest so here's this guy being tried by judges who are a member of this speculative society of Freemasons uh, who are charging him and trying his case against having to pay tolls on this bridge the campaigner said that Sir Ian Noble chairman of the Sky Bridge Company was a member of the same organization and also suggested that the 250 year old debating club that's what they used to call them had Masonic connections there's no suggestion about that at all appearing at the court of session in Edinburgh yesterday before Lords Gill Kirkwood and Wheatley, these are all lords, this old feudal system from the Norman system. Lord Gill, Kirkwood, and Wheatley, this a trinity for you. He demanded to know whether they were Freemasons. This is what he asked. Have you ever taken the oath for the purpose of entering into Masonic association? That was Robbie. After a few moments of silence, Lord Gill, the Lord Justice Clark, this is a bigwig, asked him to continue reading his speech and said, we are certainly not going to answer that question right now, which is the right Masonic response, actually. You're not supposed to get up and walk away, but it's harder for a judge to do that when he's trying a case. The protester replied, that is as much as I wish to upset your lordships. The rest is downhill, because he knew where it would go from there. A clique is going to try you, and they're going to get their way with you. But I'll be true to the song I sing And live and die A pirate king Oh, I am a pirate king And it is, it is a glorious thing To be a pirate king Oh, I am a pirate king You are the pirate king 
it is a glorious thing to be a pirate king. It is a rather pirate king, a rather pirate king. The latest case follows his conviction in 1998 for failing to pay bridge tolls. He claims the collectors of the toll do not have proper authority and his argument that no cases involving the bridge should be heard by society members. He wants membership of the group considered against the background of a dozen failed appeals in his anti-toll campaign. Raymond Doherty, QC QC in the Commonwealth countries means Queen's Council. That's a lawyer who's done business for the Crown at some time or another. Legal business. So Raymond Doherty, QC Advocate Deputy, another old title there, produced a list of members from an internet site to show the SPEC was not a secret society. That's the, the speculative society. The society's own literature describes it as a secret brotherhood bound by intangible ties of shared loyalty and common tradition. Then it goes on to say, a judgment will be issued at a later date. Now, you can go on to links from this particular site, Telegraph, which will actually give you the list of members from, I think, 2004 onwards. And they're all bigwigs and lords and judges and top lawyers and, in other words, the top system and people who get knighted for being terribly good, that kind of thing. But there's nothing new in this, you see. Here you are in a system riddled by a, a Freemasonry, which has been clever enough to disguise itself with many different little branches connected to the main lodge to try and keep the people steering clear of the main lodge, the fact that they're all Freemasons. And they help themselves. They run the justice system, justice, just us system. That's what they run. And if you go against them, they'll put you on ice, just ice. That cools you off. That's why they call it the cooler, the prison. But there's nothing new in corruption, you see, to do with the affairs of humanity in a, a system which has broken down into many systems from tribal systems and the new systems are based on money and profit which allay the fears of poverty it allays the fears of starvation um, unable to afford health care that kind of stuff money is a key because the system is run on fear so fear unfortunately is the motivating force for the corruption that we see all around us and that's why when people are terribly afraid they're prone to be used by dictators who will say everything they'll voice all of your concerns for you things which you've been thinking and discussing with others they will voice them very clearly succinctly and you'll follow them and then you give allegiance to them only to find out that the persons and the people at the top are so full of fear themselves, fear of being overthrown eventually, uh, that they come down on you. And, and they always benefit themselves, they'll plunder the country, in fact, at your expense. This is also just history. And we find this going right back to a very old ancient system, 
which introduced money. From money came standing armies. You can't have a standing army without money. It doesn't matter what form it takes. You need money to to tax it from the people to pay and keep and train and hold a standing army. It's hard to get a volunteer militia where everybody in the, the country is a member to, to, to leave their homes and go and fight for something they don't quite understand halfway across the world. But you can do anything with a standing army because a standing army in peacetime are they're mercenaries, you see. There's still little boys who run around forests going bang, bang, you're dead with toy guns, which is a tribal thing to, to, to play these types of games. However, very old men know how to manipulate the, the feelings of very young men. And if they can grab you early enough, they will get you into a uniform, the one form, uni, one form. And you'll do their bidding for them, never knowing who's really benefiting. And most folk don't ask the questions. And then you can run around amongst the trees with uh, uniforms on, with real guns going bang, bang, you're dead. It's, uh, It's been able to grab an immature phase in every man early enough before he matures and gets wiser. That's why old men create wars for young men to fight. The old men benefit and uh, their offspring and families and dynasties benefit. Nothing new in it at all. And then official historians are hired to write the histories on behalf of the victor. Nothing new, new in that either. As I say, there's nothing new under the sun. The techniques, as I say, can go be traced back and tried and tested in different countries like India and China, who tried them all. And they, they, they went to see how far each type of system could last before it was so corrupt that nothing worked. And so even that is down to a fine art. They know they must always keep appearing to change it to a next system. And they work on it to get the public to accept the new system. It's very much like if you imagine time being railroad tracks and they set off a locomotive hauling a huge long train like the China Express that passes me every day. Tremendous force to get that train moving with two or more engines in front and once they get it moving they have to judge when to apply the brakes long before their stop and that's kind of like the systems we live through over the eons of time very clever people with histories and archives of histories as opposed to public libraries and who are really a priesthood in themselves have access to all this information and they can they can decide when to plunder a society for, for a while under some guise until the public catch on and things don't work. Well, rather than wait till the end, till they lose control, they set up the next phase, the next system, and, and sell that to the public. And for a while that will work too, as it builds up momentum. And then they start applying the brakes. So they must always have the next system ready and working as they're starting to apply the brakes. That's how it works. 
if they let it get, go to the very end and start all over again, they'd lose control of it. It would take forever to get it moving again. And that is the system. The great builders of ancient times, the standing army, the taxation, the cities, city-states, the artificial systems, Plato called them the beehive, city-states, where once you have people within those walls and you train a generation, you can make them believe anything and make them believe anything is normal. And they generally will never question it. And we see that today, we've all been brought up the same way, really. But within those artificial systems, once you get them from a real system, which is either nomadic or agrarian, settled, scattered families or tribes, part of really a greater tribe, you can make the city the artificial people who must have money to live because they can't grow anything, they can't even feed themselves on their own. And to produce anything, they must use money to pay for it, anything they made building. That's why Nimrod is glorified by all mystery religions as the big builder. And once you have a money system and a taxation system, you can then carry on your big building projects through conquering peoples with your standing army, filling your coffers with nine-tenths for me and one for the state. That's how they do it. And then they go on to the next country and plunder, and they call it empire building, until you reach the stage which we're pretty well at now, is the global empire, the big honey pot, where everybody and everybody's child is down as collateral forever, because it can't be paid off with uh, compound interest, all the debts incurred. It's a, a numbers racket, as they used to call the gambling. Carefully designed, with the full knowledge that parents, single or, or, or two-parent families, are so caught up in the world and trying to get through, they'll never figure it out themselves. They don't have time. They're so stressed out, they just want to be hypnotized by television when they come home. And they want the state to take care of their child for them through daycare and schooling and then they wonder why they can't recognize the child anymore when it has these strange opinions and values all given to them by the state exactly as Bertrand Russell said in his book written after he experimented with his own schools by the crown permission of the crown his book was called Education and the Good Life. It's a term they often use for their system. The public think they mean themselves. We're all going to have the good life. But it never did, because Russell never ever considered the average person anywhere as his own equal. None of them do. Oh, I am a pirate king. And it is, it is a glorious thing to be a pirate king. Oh, I am a pirate king. You are the robber pirate king. And it is, it is a glorious thing to be a pirate king. It is a robber pirate king. A robber pirate king. 